tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. what i'm here to do i'm here to rock that's right and uh here's another one hour banger for you i told you i was putting out three episodes this week and here's the uh number two so uh it's with author christopher burkins and he has a book in which he discusses uh the legitimacy of elber einstein was elber einstein a limited hangout was he a fraud Oh, there's a lot of data out there about it. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I've been wanting to put out this episode for a while. And uh, here it is. So I hope you enjoy. Again, if you want to see me live, I'm going to. I have an amazing two shows at the World Famous Comedy Store, April 11th at 8 p.m. and 10.30. Then I'm in Toronto. That is April 13th through the 15th. Okay. And then at in June, not till June, guys, I'm uh, in uh, San Diego. I don't have a lot of road gigs. I got to start putting that together again, but the tour shall continue enjoying living my life. So uh, go to samtriple.com for everything, all my dates, all you can get tickets at all my shows. And then if you want some uh, premium content, rockfin.com, just put Sam Tripoli, everything will come up. Conspiracy Social Club, Zero, Tinfoil Hat, uh, uh, AMAs, and Only Conspiracies. All my affiliates that I work with, uh, whether it is Wise Wolf, Gold and Silver, uh, Harley, Ray, uh, Crystals, and then uh, Brown Gas, of course, uh, which is a really great uh, product that I am currently about to start using. So, And then all my free contents, all there. All my videos, all my audio, you can find it all there at samtriply.com. So enjoy the show. Again, at the end show, uh, just enjoy the show. Just enjoy what Christopher Birkin is. And uh, we will see you soon. Enjoy the show. Guys, welcome to another Only Conspiracies here on Rockfin. I am so excited to have this uh, guest on to talk about this subject. This is something that we've kind of danced around on Tim Fall Hat a lot. And uh, you hear Eddie Bravo talk about this all the time this subject so i'm excited to have him on he is an author he's been he wrote a book 20 years ago about this subject got a lot of pushback but people are, are waking up to what he's been saying for the last 20 years please welcome this to the show author christopher bjorkness how are you brother very good and thank you so much for having me on it's great to be on Honor and a privilege, man. These are one of these dangerous conversations that I just don't feel should be dangerous, but for some reason it is, and that is Albert Einstein. Who was Albert Einstein? What was Albert Einstein, and what did he represent? And that's why I'm very excited to have you on because you've been talking about this for a very long time. So before we get into that, 
Uh, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and where our listeners can find you? Um, as you said, I've been uh, working on this project. It has been a mission of mine for 20 years to expose the facts about Einstein for to the general public for many reasons. I want to give due credit to the uh, scholars who created the theory of relativity. And I want to open up physics to the idea that Einstein is not a god, he was fallible, and that we should be pursuing all kinds of theories as Nikola Tesla did. And he was an advocate of ether theories. And ether theories uh, make it possible to understand the physical mechanisms of gravity and magnetism. And I think the uh, physics community has been hamstrung by Einstein's opposition to ether theories. So there are many uh, practical reasons uh, that people should latch on to why it's important to understand this history and how it came about. Uh, I, I agree with a lot of this. You've been hearing this story a lot about, for some reason, the powers that be like to push certain people over other people for whatever reason that is. And, um, you know, for me, man, I'm a very spiritual man. And, you know, I'm really into the hermetic principles. And I think they took the laws of physics and really hardened them. So they take away all the magic that really is where we are. And, uh, you know, when you talk about alternative theories, that's what I'm talking about. Like, the, we, we live in such a magical place. And for some reason, Einstein has been made the face of this science that everybody just 100% does not question and accepts as the law. And I've always learned that, you know, there's always an alternative story. And so uh, what is the name? Is this the name of your book in the background? So the people after this can, if they want to read more about this thing, go find your book. This is uh, the 2,900 page magnum opus I published in uh, 2006. How many pages? 2,900 pages. Oh my God. Is that the biggest book ever? It's it's heavy. You could kill somebody with it if you wanted to. How long did it take for you to write that? Oh, I was probably working on that for about 10 years, and I incorporated oh, oh my, uh, my book, Albert Einstein, The Incorrigible Plagiarist, and Anticipations of Einstein in the General Theory of Relativity into it. But I added the full history of how the Einstein myth was created and how it was used politically by various factions to promote their own interests. The physics community has always benefited from the Einstein brand, and they've been very dishonest about the history of uh, the development of the theory of relativity. And there were many other forces uh, who had uh, personal interests in promoting Einstein. Very early on, the Germans wanted to promote Einstein for the benefit of German science. And Einstein copied the theory of relativity from a French scientist, Henri Poincaré. So the Germans wanted to appropriate that. And that's how he initially got away with it. And then his friends, uh, Max von Laue, um, Moritz Schlick, Erwin Freundlich, uh, Alexander Moskowski, Einstein himself, Hermann Weil, et cetera, et cetera, published books about the theory of relativity. So they were all making money off of it. And that's what really started kicking it off. And he had a friend named Alexander Moskowski who uh, wrote to him that he wanted to make a cult of Einstein out of Einstein. And he was a famous literateur and he had access to the newspapers. 
So he started to promote Einstein as the genius who had surpassed Kepler, Galileo, and Newton. And that began in 1917. And then in 1919, uh, Eddington had some eclipse observations, which were taken to be verifications of the general theory of relativity. And that's when Einstein became an international celebrity. And there was all kinds of hype publicizing him at that point. It's, you know, it's so funny. I'm a stand-up comic. I live in Hollywood. I wish I didn't, but I do. And I've been part of the comedy community here in Los Angeles since, uh, you know, 2000, 1999, 2000. And what you're talking about, I've seen happen so many times in pop culture and, and entertainment where somebody is just pushed ahead through by uh, the powers that be and everybody just gravitates to them. And some people are like, why is this ever happening? And there's always this alternative motive of, uh, you know, being able to control the message you know, uh, I'm playing people play ball, get rewarded and all that stuff. So if I had to, if I just, I want to start off by saying, because this is, this is the question that whenever I talk to anybody who's somewhat interested in, in conspiracies, and I'd say this is a conspiracy or people who are against conspiracies, what, what they always say to me, and I always have to answer, why would they do that? So if someone came up to you and go, why would they do this? Why would they perpetrate this giant lie? I have my own feelings, but what are your feelings on that? Well, for the physicists who represented relativity theory, it was overthrowing uh, previous concepts of geometry. So anyone who wanted to believe still in uh, Euclidean geometry and in the classical physics of Newton resisted it and they had to overcome that resistance so they formed kind of a paranoid clique and they started to defame and attack anyone who questioned relativity theory because it was so difficult for them to get people to accept relativity theory initially and they claimed that only 12 people in the world could understand it and therefore anyone who contradicted it or rejected it was being malicious and vicious and inhibiting the progress of science. And uh, they utilized the press to smear anyone who opposed it. And there were Nobel Prize winning physicists who opposed it. So it, it kind of broke down into a war, a factional war where you had to take sides and it was going to be one side was going to win or the other side was going to win. So both sides started employing dirty tactics and uh, uh, really vicious tactics. And the Einstein camp won out because they had better connections in the press. And um, then eventually the other side won out through the viciousness of Nazism. So it went back and forth and there were great debates about it. Einstein was challenged to a debate in 1920 in Bad Nauheim, and he was uh, confronted by Philip Leonard, who won a Nobel Prize for his cathode ray research, and Leonard slaughtered him in the debate, and Einstein panicked and ran away. His friend Max Planck called a break, and Einstein ran away to the train station uh, went back to his place, started writing people that he was planning to flee Germany because he had been so badly embarrassed in the debate. 
But then the next day, the newspapers rescued him and slandered Philip Leonard. And that created a great hostility between Leonard and Einstein that passed all the way through the Nazi years. So I think that's why it was so important for those who promoted Einstein to prevent any exposure of the fact that he was a plagiarist. But from uh, very early on, from like 1907 on, Johannes Stark uh, accused him of plagiarizing his work. Henri Poincaré ignored him. Ernst Gerke and Philip Leonard started publishing, republishing the original papers that Einstein had copied. And it was a huge scandal in Germany in 1920. And then in 1921, he tried to escape that scandal by coming to the U.S. And an American scientist from St. Paul, the College of St. Thomas, named Arvid Reuterdahl, uh, accused him of plagiarism in the United States and challenged him to a debate. And he said that the only reason he had come to America was to raise money for the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and therefore he wouldn't debate Arvid Reuterdahl. And he lied and said he had never heard of Arvid Reuterdahl. And then Reuterdahl produced interviews where Einstein discussed Arvid Reuterdahl and oh proved that he was a liar. God. Now, when Einstein arrived in New York, there were massive crowds to meet him. But after Arvid Reuterdahl slaughtered him in the press, he had access to the Dearborn Independent after Scientific American refused to publish his articles. He turned to Henry Ford's organ, the Dearborn Independent. And Ford reached uh, 750,000 people through his Ford dealerships. And um, Reuterdahl had banner headlines calling Einstein the Barnum of uh, science and saying that he was a career plagiarist. So Einstein was exposed in 1921. And then he fled and he went on a world trip in 22 and 23 to the Far East and to Palestine and to Spain. And the whole time, the press uh, stuck with him. But there was always an ardent, hardcore of major physicists who rejected both Einstein and the theory of relativity. And there were many, many people who constantly accused him of plagiarism and offered up the proof of his plagiarism. And all of this history was lost after World War II. And uh, it was primarily me who resurrected all of this knowledge um, in 2002 with my book, Albert Einstein, The Incorrigible Plagiarist. Holy cow, bro. That's insane, man. And you know what? I, if I didn't see this happen in my lifetime, in just my world of comedy and acting and all that stuff, I'm not an actor, but you know, I'm a stand-up comic and I, I've seen this exact thing happen in real time. The the press, the media, the the mechanism, the machine gets behind somebody and for some reason promotes somebody that really shouldn't be promoted. And it's it blows my mind. So it is your theory that that Einstein was pushed forward because the Germans wanted to be seen as you know, scientifically superior to others. Is that why, is that the biggest reason he was pushed forward? I think that was the biggest reason all the way through World War One. And um, initially, of course, the idea was he and his wife got together. They were collaborators and we can discuss all the evidence yes. that's been turned up about that. 
And they they decided that they were going to steal credit for uh, the Poincaré-Lorenz theory of relativity, as it's been oh called by many God. people. Okay. And then uh, they they got away with it. Yes, I believe because the German scientists wanted the greater glory of their institutions and their publications, and then uh, the physics community in Germany that grabbed onto the theory of relativity uh, formed this clique. And uh, they won out in their war with the anti-relativity clique. There was a book published in 1931 called 100 Authors Against Einstein. And there were many, many prominent uh, people who were opposed to this. Ernst Mach, Nikola Tesla, um, Hendrik Antum Lorentz himself opposed the theory of relativity. And the biggest opposition was the idea that Riemannian geometry was an abstract concept, a four-dimensional abstract concept. And the mythology is that Albert Einstein came up with the idea of space-time. But it was originally published in 1901 by Melchior Palagi. Then Henri Poincaré developed it much further in the theory of relativity in 1905. And then Hermann Minkowski, uh, published the formal and most uh, highly developed form of it in 1907, citing Henri Poincaré. But Albert Einstein rejected the idea of space-time. And in 1907, he wrote a couple of papers with his friend Jacob Laub saying that uh, the concept of space-time was nonsense. And yet today, he is given credit for uh, formulating that concept. Oh. He neither formulated it nor uh, promoted it, but instead opposed it initially. So there are many, many lies told about Einstein to try to promote him as if this great genius. And he also did not create the atomic bomb. He did not believe that atomic bombs were even possible. And uh, if we can share a screen, I can show you... Um, headline articles yeah where einstein was uh shown in the press saying that atomic energy and atomic bombs were impossible as late as 1934. are you yeah are you able to do it yeah um perfect let me can you see that yeah Why yeah keep the pittsburgh post gazette Atom energy hope is spiked by Einstein. Um, he said that the energy of ad the atom is something that can never be tapped because the atom can't be shattered. Again, this is 1934. And um, he was quoted in 1932 stating there is not the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. It would mean that the atom would have to be shattered at will. This was long after Otto Hahn had shown uh, chain reactions that the atom could be shattered. And uh, in 1920, he told his friend Alexander Moskovsky that uh, atomic energy was impossible. But uh, during the same period, and then after the war, he said, I do not consider myself the father of the release of atomic energy. Oh, my God. My part in it was quite indirect. I did not, in fact, foresee that it would be released in my time. Oh my but S. Tolver Preston uh, formulated E equals MC squared and designed an atomic bomb in 1875. And he utilized the formula E equals MC squared, where C is the speed of light. 
and he described how an atomic bomb could be made by subdividing matter into uh, subatomic particles. And this was before subatomic particles were even known by other people. And then Gustave Le Bon in uh, 1905 talked about how uh, if you took metal and broke apart its atoms, the scientist who did that with one gram of metal would blow up his whole neighborhood. So Einstein is falsely given credit for um, creating the concept of atomic bombs when he didn't even believe in it. He rejected it, and he came along much later. Frederick Soddy forecast atomic energy in 1908, and his lectures were published in 1909. And then H.G. Wells wrote a book about atomic bombs, and he called them atomic bombs, in 1914, in his book, The World Set Free. So all of this history, as you can see, is uh, has been terribly corrupted to favor Einstein and it's to so make of him crazy. this great genius uh, that he really wasn't. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. I mean, it is crazy. And it's um, in that book that I talked about 100 authors against Einstein, they talked about something called the Einstein terror. And because there was this war between these two forces, the Einsteinians would set about to network together and destroy anyone's career who opposed the theory of relativity or who um, accused and demonstrated Einstein's plagiarism. In the Soviet Union, in uh, 1964, the Presidium of the Academy of Sciences effectively made it illegal to criticize Einstein or the theory what? of relativity. And they would put people in political psycho prisons and mutilate their brains with surgery and toxic drugs. And there was a man named Yuri Bravko who was subjected to this treatment, who wrote a book about it. And uh, uh, he led me to two articles by V.A. Bronston and uh, E. Lifshitz, where they bragged about the fact in scientific journals in the Soviet Union in 1968 and 1978, that they would take people who demonstrated no abnormalities, who were completely normal in every aspect, but had criticized the theory of relativity, and then put them into psycho prisons and treated them as if they were psychotics with uh, surgery and psychoactive drugs and destroyed their minds. And that has always been referred to as the Einstein terror. Shepan uh, Mohorovich, Mohorovichich, uh, forgive me for mispronouncing his name. You're killing these names. You're you're doing great, by the way. I would be butchering in, every name you said, so you're doing awesome. Thank you. Uh, in the early 1920s, he began to expose the fact that he believed that Einstein had plagiarized the Poincaré-Lorentz theory of relativity and had plagiarized general relativity from Johann Georg von Soldner and Paul Gerber, and his life was threatened and his career was destroyed. Aaron Skerica uh, published uh, Soldner's paper. He and Philip Lehner published Soldner's papers and Gerber's papers to show that Einstein copied their uh, Gerber's formula and Soldner's prediction from 1804 that the light passing around the sun would be bent by the gravitational field 
and that the deflection would be twice what Newtonian gravity predicted. Oh he predicted that in 1804, and Philip Leonard and Ernst Gerke set up a meeting in the Berlin Philharmonic to expose all of these facts, and they republished these papers in the same journals that Einstein had published his papers plagiarizing these formulas and ideas. And Einstein's only response was uh, to personally attack them and defame them in the press. I, I you know, again, if, if people be like, why would they do that? I, I just think the powers that be love to make us feel that we are powerless, right? And even the most powerful and the most intelligent of us, they just want us to know that they're in control and that if you come up with this great idea, they have no problems. We're taking one of their people, uh, whoever that is, a puppet or anything like that, and putting it to the fort and giving them all the credit because it just causes, you know, uh, division and fighting within each other. And we're all fighting with each other. We're not focusing on the bigger issue here. Now, for those who may not uh, be familiar with the law of re relativity, what, what exactly is the law of relativity? Um, Henri Poincaré, starting in 1895, uh, right on through to 1905, but before Einstein published his paper on the theory of relativity in 1905, said that there would be no experiment that you could conduct which would show uh, motion relative to absolute space. And therefore, all motion is relative. It can only be determined based upon other objects that you correlate it to. Oh. And this came about because they believed in the ether. And the ether is the idea that space is either a fluid or a gas that transmits uh, electromagnetic waves or transmits waves which generate gravity. So they tried to explain how light propagates by means of this ether. And they assumed that the ether was at rest. And because if the ether was at rest, light waves in that ether could be uh, detected with an apparatus called an interferometer on the Earth, which would bounce light back and forth. Uh, let me get a drink for a moment. That's fine. So they assumed that since the Earth is traversing through this ether, the speed of light in one direction would be the speed of light plus the speed of the Earth, and the speed of light in the other direction would be the speed of light minus the speed of the Earth, so that as the light bounced back and forth through this interferometer, if you rotated the interferometer, the interference fringe patterns on the interferometer would change because the effective speed of light would change. And uh, two gentlemen, Michelson and Morley, conducted these experiments in the 1880s, but they weren't any able to detect any change in the speed of light. So it began to appear that the speed of light was a universal constant, and you could never determine the frame of the ether where you could get an addition of velocities together with the speed of light. And that blew people's minds because you could have the Earth moving relative to the planet Saturn, but the same light source would be measured at the same speed by both, 
even though they were moving relative to each other. So they started to conceive of the idea that perhaps uh, bodies got shorter as they passed through the ether, and that clocks would run slower as they passed through the ether, so that when they measured the speed of light, it would always be measured to be the same. So Poincaré formulated this as the principle of relativity, that there was absolutely no way to find which person was actually at rest relative to the ether. And then he eventually came to the conclusion that the ether didn't exist and that the laws of physics would be exactly the same, including the laws of electromagnetism and electrodynamics would be the same for all observers, no matter what relative motion they had to one another, or if there is such a thing as absolute space or the ether, no matter what motion they had relative to that. And then Einstein copied Poincaré's principle of relativity verbatim. Oh my God. And Poincaré in 1898 in a paper on the measurement of time, and then in a lecture he gave in 1904 in St. Louis, described a method for synchronizing clocks where you would send light signals back and forth and you would assume that the speed of light was 300,000 kilometers per second and that uh, therefore you could determine and synchronize your clocks based on how much time it took for the light to go from one uh, messenger to the other messenger. And then you could also have a different system in motion relative to that frame of reference where they would do the same process. And all the people would measure the speed of light to be the same, but the clocks would appear to be running slow relative from one system to the other system. Einstein in 1905 copied that exact uh, synchronization method virtually verbatim and didn't mention Poincaré. And then Poincaré had a famous paper that was published in uh, an Italian mathematics journal called Ronda Conti about the dynamics of an electron. And he created the idea of space-time, that if you took all these different reference frames and correlated them with what is called the Lorentz transformation, you would get a space-time group and that nothing would actually move within this space-time but the intervals would be absolute. So the universe itself is actually timeless and nothing moves within the universe and everything coexists. And it is our consciousness when it makes measurements of events, which separates time into the time of events and into temporal time and into uh, spaces relative to the speed of light. And Minkowski picked up on that and created and highly developed the special theory of relativity, which Einstein is given credit for, even though he never understood it. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. That but is this, this idea that uh, time doesn't really exist goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. Parmenides and Zeno and the Eleatics said that the universe is eternal. And it is our only our process of becoming in consciousness, which uh, separates individual times and perceptions of our senses, 
create the illusion that we are traveling through time, but our bodies themselves are never the same from one moment to the next. So in effect, the universe is a giant block and our bodies and our consciousness are every moment that happens is eternal and is simply a part of this space-time manifold, which is eternal and contains within at every instant that we perceive as part of the arrow of time and the flow of time. But in reality, nothing is ever changing, and it is only the construction of our consciousness which creates the illusion that things are changing. That is crazy, and I get it. That is just get. Oh, man. The universe is so interesting. And all these man-made constructs just blow my mind. Time is an illusion. Is such an interesting thought, man. And I get it. Not only time, but the, um, the nature of matter passing through time to the Greeks was considered an illusion. We are not the same person and the same stuff moving from one place to another. We are simply a consciousness which exists in different forms and different stuff that uh, correlates through memories and premonitions and sensibilities of the present, all of these things into an image of time passing. This is very high-level stuff, which is difficult to understand. And difficult no, I love to it. Explain, I love it. So, like, there's no, like, 1978. Is that what we're talking about? No, it's the opposite. 1978 exists forever, just as this moment that we are talking right now exists forever. Everything is simultaneous and everything exists. It's, it's it's almost like a book in a weird way with the pages all going on at one time. In exactly, that's exact. That's a wonderful analogy, and I'm going to steal it from you in the future. You can have it. I won't. I won't. I won't Einstein you. You can have it. <laughs> So that is so interesting. It's like 1978 is right now, just like 2022 is right now. And it is an illusion that it's a different time or it is a different time, but I'm just in a different part. That's it. That's it. Just as, it, just as there are different places, like there are people on the other side of the earth right now. That's the way it is with uh, events in time, but they're all part of the same manifold. And it is simply our consciousness, which is a part of that construct, which contains within the structure of our brain, the image that we are the same psyche passing through um, these changing events, but the events aren't changing. We simply exist in different phases of this whole thing. And Minkowski called them uh, world points and world lines, but I think the Greeks had a better understanding of it. And they didn't actually believe that it was the same matter uh, being transported to different positions in space and time and space-time. They believed that it was different matter, but everything coexisted. So right now, the future is happening as well what we yes. would conceive as the future. Absolutely, yes. And, and your entire happens. lifespan 
is not your mind moving through space and time. It is the sum total of all those leaves of that book. And none of them ever passes away or dies. Everything exists forever and has always existed. That is such a complex thought. Well, that's one of the reasons why so many people rejected the special theory of relativity, because they didn't believe that. They believe that uh, matter is conserved and it, uh, matter cannot be destroyed. Gustave Le Bon blew all that out of the water. Gustave Le Bon was the first one to say that matter is energy and that matter evolves and slowly devolves and releases its energy into the ether and slowly disappears. And that's why he predicted atomic bombs, because he said that if you could release that energy, um, for like example, the half-life of plutonium, you have it slowly releasing its energy over the course of hundreds of millions of years. But when you can get it to release all that energy instantaneously, you get a nuclear bomb that explodes. And Gustave Le Bon understood that. And he believed that the universe is undergoing a process of evolution where all atoms are slowly decaying and eventually will release and lose their energy into the ether and then cease to exist. So he destroyed the concept of the conservation of energy and the conservation of matter. But Einstein never really understood that. And that's why Gustav Le Bon could conceive of atomic bombs, but Einstein couldn't. And it wasn't until 1939 that uh, Leo Szilard and Eugene Wigner uh, wrote a letter that Einstein signed to President Roosevelt saying that an atomic bomb would be possible. Einstein still didn't believe it, but he was persuaded by Szilard and Wigner to sign that letter because his prestige could be used, as you've described, as you've witnessed in the comedy industry. His prestige was more valuable than his knowledge or his insight. And then when uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer started the Manhattan Project after Roosevelt approved the letter and got it kicked off, he wanted nothing to do with Einstein. He excluded Einstein from the project because he knew that Einstein was a fraud and could contribute nothing to it and would be a security risk because um, Einstein wanted to create a world government. After World War II, he used nuclear bombs as a pretext to say that we need a world government uh, to safeguard us from atomic bombs and it should be formed out of the United States, Great Britain, and the Soviet Union. So again, it was always his prestige, which was more important than his insights. And it was very useful to people. And it was very useful to the physics community so that they could assert that the greatest genius was a physicist. It was very useful to all those who wrote books about Einstein and made all kinds of money out of it. And um, it was very useful politically. Do you think that he had a certain level of intelligence like he wasn't completely lack of of an ability to articulate thoughts to a level that would allow him to be accepted as a um as a leader in physicists and all that stuff do you think he had a certain amount of talent there 
That's a wonderful question that I have been chewing over for these uh, 25 years that I've been looking into this. I can read German, and his written German is wonderful. He expressed himself very well in a very high standard of Hochdeutsch German. But the people who met him said he had kind of a fog in his eyes. He looked dazed. He acted childlike. Uh, he gave very poor lectures. His lectures were scripted. He would contradict himself in his lectures. He described himself as having difficulty with mathematics and with language. Uh, he had difficulty with English and could never speak English well. So there's this contradiction. And a lot of people who met him said that he was very childlike. And instead of being able to explain his own theories, when he would meet other scientists, he would grill them about their theories. And I've seen many scientists who said that he asked them to explain their theories to him as if they were explaining it to a child. And then after they would explain it to him, he would publish a paper uh, mimicking their words verbatim. Oh and this has been God. documented time what? after time after time. So I don't know. And there are many uh, anecdotal uh, stories about Einstein. He told Peter Bucky that he decided to live in a one-room apartment instead of a four-room apartment so that if he lost a button off of his shirt, it would be easier to find. And he said that he didn't brush his teeth because pig's bristles uh, could bore through diamonds and would destroy his teeth. Oh, my God. And there was a joke told about him. It's an old joke but that he bored two holes through his door, uh, front door, one bigger than the other, so that both the small cat and the big cat could go through. Oh, that's so funny, dude. That's, that's so funny. So it, it's difficult to answer your question, and I don't know. Um, if we can get into um, yeah. Leva Maric and yeah. the evidence that she co-authored his papers of 1905, yes. she was always viewed as the more intelligent one of the two. And um, Einstein wrote her a letter in 1902 stating that he would be uh, happy and proud when the two of them together had uh, led their theory of relative motion to a victorious and successful end. So he himself, we have documentation stating that he identified her as his collaborator. And we have another letter in which he asked her to engage in this scientific collaboration on the uh, relativity theory of Lorentz. In that book I showed you by Alexander Moskovsky, he has a section where he relates that Einstein told him that Maleva Maric was his scientific collaborator. But even now, more telling than all of that, one of the people who saw those manuscripts in 1905 was a physicist named Abram Yoffa. And Abram Yoffa went to visit Albert Einstein, and he recorded um, these events in uh, one of his articles. And he said that Einstein wasn't home. But he met Einstein's wife, Maleva Maric, and she told him that Albert Einstein was a nothing and he had no serious thoughts about science, much less about experiments. And those words are directly from Abram Yaffa. But even more significant than that, Einstein died in 1955. 
Abram Yaffa left Germany during the Bolshevik Revolution to join the Bolsheviks, and he became one of the most prominent physicists in Russia. He wrote in Einstein's obituary in Physics Ushpechi, which was the major physics journal in the Soviet Union, that the papers were signed not Einstein, but Einstein Marity. Well, he said that the author of the papers was Einstein Marity, the only person to have ever gone by the name Einstein Marity was Maleva Einstein Marich. Her gravestone, the headstone says Maleva Einstein Marity. Her death certificate says Maleva Einstein Marity. Her um, papers were all signed Maleva Einstein Marity. So Yaffa revealed the fact that uh, the real author of the paper was not Albert Einstein. It was Maleva Einstein Marity. And then one of uh, Yoffa's colleagues, Daniel Danin, wrote a book, and he said that the papers were signed Einstein Marity. The famous papers of 1905 on the special theory of relativity, Brownian motion, and um, the photoelectric effect were all signed Einstein Marity. And the only human being to ever go by that name was Maleva Einstein Marity. Another telling fact is that when Einstein won the Nobel Prize, he didn't win it for the theory of relativity because um, Oscar Edvard Vesten, who was a prominent professor in Sweden, published an article in 1921 in the uh, Naya Daglicht Alahanda calling Einstein a plagiarist and saying that he was undeserving of the Nobel Prize premium. So they couldn't possibly give Einstein the Nobel Prize for the theory of relativity. But there was a corrupt director of the Nobel Prize committee named Osean, who insisted that Einstein be given a prize. So he was given a prize for his, quote, general contributions to science. And it was scandalous because uh, Nobel himself said that the prize for physics could only be awarded for physical discoveries, and Einstein had made none. So this created an international scandal that's never spoken oh, of. My anymore. God. But the, another interesting aspect of that is in the divorce agreement between Maleva Einstein Marity and Albert Einstein, it specified that if he won the Nobel Prize, all the money would go to Maleva. So that indicates, and they anticipated it would be given for relativity theory. So that's further proof that it was Maleva who wrote the prize and therefore deserved wrote the papers and therefore deserved the prize winnings. And one, when Einstein won it, he honored that and gave all the money to Maleva. Then later in 1925, Maleva wrote to Albert, and we don't have her letter, but she said that she was going to publish her memoirs. And Einstein told her to shut up and keep her mouth shut because he was famous. But if she wrote her memoirs and told the truth that she had written the papers, and he didn't say this, but this can be interpolated from what he said, that if she revealed the fact that she had written the papers and that the papers were plagiarized, especially from Poincaré and Lorenz, that Einstein would no longer be famous, so there would be no more value in what she wrote. And he did say that, that her uh, memoirs would be valueless if he ceased to be famous. Dude, 
I've and, and I'm just before. scratching the surface on all the proof that there is that it was uh, Maleva Einstein Marich who was either the co-author or the sole author of these papers. Here's the thing, man. This is such an amazing discussion that I kind of want to hold off on any more deep, deep dives into it and bring you on my big, big show, which is Tim Fall Hat, which gets over 100,000 people listening. And I think you would really make a great impact on that because you've really blown my mind here. And I want people to be able to hear what you have to say. We could continue here, but I just really want to get you on the big show to have you have a discussion. Is Are you open-minded to that? Oh, thank you so very, very much. That's uh, one of the best opportunities in my life. Okay. So of we'll course, yes. I'm going to tell Mark to rush you on and get you on ASAP. Christopher, this has been a great show. And I could, we could keep going. It's late night on a Friday. I don't want to keep you up any later. And I would love to just get into this, what we talked about, and then hear any of the other info that you have on this, because I know people are going to love this. Uh, because I've heard this, I, I, I haven't heard the details you bring, but I've heard people talk about, you know, especially when it comes to Tesla and all that stuff and how, um, people, I mean, I've heard this story so many times in entertainment. It just blows my mind, man. And it just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Now the final question I'll have. Was what, did did he have like famous parents? Like why him though? Like I can understand them wanting to push uh, a scientist, but why Einstein? What about that? Was his uncle uh, chancellor? Was like there was there something about Einstein that he was just in this privileged group that they made him the guy? I don't think that was it. I think it's that uh, Henri Poincaré created such a revolutionary concept of space and time. And also Bernhard Riemann created this theory of an ether sink and um, space and the idea of four-dimensional curved non-Euclidean geometry that Lobachevsky initiated. That was so mind-blowing and so revolutionary that uh, when Einstein plagiarized it, it was seen as such a significant advancement in human thought that it got widely promoted and the ones who had originated it got forgotten and it all got concentrated on this one man. And again, they said that it was so significant and important, but it didn't change anything. Nobody's lives changed. Nikola Tesla created alternating current, which enabled power plants to transmit electricity to great distances, which Thomas Edison couldn't do with direct current. So Nikola Tesla impacted humanity, everybody's life around the world. Nothing changed when Einstein did it. It was all hype, but it was hype based upon these concepts. Uh, for example, they would say you could have a 100-foot pole with inside of a 50-foot barn, and that just blew people's minds if the pole was traveling fast enough passing by. Like I said, when one thing moves relative to another, it appears to contract and its clocks appear to run slower. And it was things like that that people found so intriguing. And I think another big aspect of it was uh, after World War I, people were super depressed. World War I sucked. It cost millions and millions of lives. People were uh, disenchanted with the monarchy. Um, 
Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany, Nicholas II the Tsar of Russia, and George V of England were all cousins. They thought that this family had conspired to bring the world into world war. Uh, young men were slain in the prime of life. They lost their childbearing years, and people thought the world sucked. So all of this um, enthusiastic hype about Einstein in 1919, right after World War I ended in November of 1918, uh, gave people a lift, and, and they liked it. And they liked the idea that the English scientists had confirmed something that a German scientist had predicted. So there was it enabled this rapprochement between uh, the Entente, the Allies, and the uh, German powers. And I think that played a huge role in uh, promoting all of this. Unbelievable, man. So crazy. All right, Christopher, I appreciate you coming on. You've literally blown my mind. This is one of my favorite discussions I've ever had. And I look forward to uh, you coming on to the big show and uh, be to help you uh, reach a lot of people to get this out because it blows my mind. And I, I, I think you're 100% correct. And it just sucks. It just sucks. You know, they've rewritten our history. They've, you know, they've just put deceit and, de and deceit and deceit and deceit in front of us. And it just makes me sad because there's some wonderful, brilliant mind people out there that never will get recognized for how incredible the discoveries are and how powerful their minds are. And then you got frauds out there getting all the glory and it just sucks. And on the other side of it, if we can uh, go back to researching uh, theories of the ether, even my own uh, relatives, uh, Wilhelm Björkness, Carl Anton Björkness had very significant uh, physical theories. Uh, Wilhelm Björkness is considered uh, the father of modern meteorology. He created the whole science of meteorology. And his Your father, family members? Yes. Uh, Carl ah. Anton Björkness had a theory that within the ether, there are bubbles which pulsate. And if space is a um, ideal frictionless fluid, these pulsations can explain uh, magnetism and gravity. And he created machines where he would show pulsing spheres that would attract and repel uh, based on how they were synchronized when submerged in fluids. Now, I don't necessarily believe that's the correct theory. There are problems with it, but there are many uh, really brilliant ether theories that we ought to be exploring instead of doing what uh, Nikola Tesla and J.B. Stalo called reification of abstract non-Euclidean geometry. And that really set physics back and prevented us from understanding how gravity works and how magnetism works. And I think the ether theories can explain it and lead to actual physical uh, experiments instead of mental experiments that will advance science far beyond what we understand today. So the, I've always had this understand, like uh, I, I've asked people to explain to me ether because I think it's such an interesting thing. I've had like discussions with people about what is ether. And like for me, some people have tried to discover it, but like, like my between me 
and this phone, right? Like that, that whatever is between me and this phone is the ether. It is a conduit of energy that exists, right? At all times. What, what is your thoughts on ether? I'd love to hear. And then, then we can wrap up. But what is your thoughts on ether? Um, it is a myth that space is nothingness and is empty. Um, even better example than between your phone and your hand would be between the planets. That empty space contains something and contains a tremendous store of energy. And there are many theories. It could be densely packed plasma of opposing charged particles, which transmit waves through uh, the transition of those polarities with um, amplitudes of oscillation. Think of it just like the air, that just between uh, your mouth and my ears, if we were in the same room, it is the air, which is the conduit of those sound waves. It is yes. the medium. Yes. That is what the ether is. It's, it's the medium through which uh, those vibrations, those waves pass. And there were many theories that matter itself is simply vortices that are spinning within that ether. And that's why they have inertia. And that's why they continue to exist. And there were concepts called vortex rings within the ether in which uh, it could be modeled that these would exist forever because they would be spinning vort vortices like smoke rings. Have you ever seen someone smoke a cigar and blow yeah. a smoke ring? Yeah. You can see it spinning and pass through the air. That would be the same way that atoms are composed and they spin and pass through the ether. Thank you. I finally. So the ether is just a giant ocean. Space is not empty. It's just a giant ocean. And we are like fish in the ocean. We're not aware of the water around us. Yes. The fish cannot conceive of the water that they're within. And we cannot conceive of the uh, tangible nature of the ether that we're in. So, like, is ether only in space? I'm sorry. Is this ether, is the air ether? The air is particles within the ether. Okay, I got The it. air is ponderable. You can compress it and weigh it. But um, it, is, it is likely that those particles are themselves motions within that ether. It's so complex. Christopher, I appreciate you. This has been such a blessing of a conversation. Uh, you're probably one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. So it was a very, it was an honor to talk to you. It was a wonderful conversation. Do you have a website you'd like to send people to? Social media? Uh, where is your book on Amazon? Where would you like people to come find you? Yes, my books are on Amazon. And the best place to uh, get to them is my website, cjbbooks.com. It is my initials, cjbbooks.com with no spaces, hyphens, or underscores. All right. And thank you so very much for that high praise. It was really a pleasure to speak with you and to get to meet you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And I look forward to the next our next conversation, which will hopefully happen in very, very, very soon. So I'm going to make that happen because this is a great topic. And I know my listeners and uh, my fans and the people who love my show are going to eat it up. So we're going to get you on there and spread the word. So I appreciate you, Christopher. We'll talk to you soon. And everybody else, thank you so much for coming uh, and joining us on this conversation. I have my mind blown 
all the whole well almost hour we went man so thank you guys so much for tuning in i love you very much have a great holiday weekend if you're in the united states we'll talk to you soon take care everybody bye <laughs>